So as we read, we remember that this is an ancient letter to uh, an ancient church, church that existed in history, but it is also God's word to them and to us. And so we hear God speak to us through his word. 1 Corinthians 6, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, if you have a Bible handy, let's uh, turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 1147. This passage that we read earlier on, all being well, Stafford's going to carry on next Sunday morning with uh, the rest of the chapter, verses 12 to the end. We look at the first 11 verses this morning. One of the things that you'll, you'll hear today, you'll hear from the world, as it were, today, is that message coming across that you've got to be who you are. Uh, you've got to be true to yourself. And, and whatever you find yourself to be or decide yourself to be, then the only way that you can really be happy and, and a person of integrity is, is to live according to who you are. Of course, one of the big crises in our world today is that people don't know who they are. Uh, questions of identity are, are very much the questions of this age. And of course, the problem is that when it's up to me to determine who I am, how do I know if I've got it right? There's this deep-seated angst in our society as we struggle with these identity questions. And I, I was looking up a, a website just to, uh, about this and, and there were uh, all these steps that you had to take to, to, to find out who you were. And, and, and then I, I began to read, read the comments at the bottom of the page, and they were just heartbreaking. And, and there were people who were saying, but, but how do I know who I am? What if I cannot find myself? What if I don't have a dream? Really, comments that betrayed that people were all over the place as far as these questions of identity were concerned. And the trouble is, of course, that society's pointing us on a false quest because our identity is actually not up to us to work out. We are people who've been made by God. We're people who've rebelled against God. 
but we're also people whom God is seeking. And whenever we accept that, whenever we submit to God, when we trust in all that God has provided for us, we find that we have a new identity. We're people who've been rescued. We're now children of the King. We're people in whom He is at work, in whom He is doing a transforming work. And whenever we've come to Christ, oddly, our our challenge is then actually to be who we are. It is to live out the identity, not that we've worked out, but that, that He has given us to live out our lives as as children of the King. Well, we're turning this morning again to 1 Corinthians. We're looking at the, the experience of this early church in Corinth, but of course it's also Scripture, and part of what we believe God has determined should be in His Word, that, that He might speak to His people through it. And, and part of what we see is that the church then fell into a number of problems, and Paul writes to them to address the problems that they had, and he teaches us really, really important things as he does that. We've already seen that one of the big problems for Corinth was that the, the world had got into the church, as it were. Now, it wasn't an old church. It was a young church. Uh, Paul had planted it at about 50 AD. He had then moved on and inside a couple of years, and uh, about 55 AD, about five years later, he gets all this information through from them, and he writes back to try and help them. And it seems, therefore, that, that they either hadn't fully left behind some of the old ways of their lives, or they had begun to slip back into their old ways as a church. Both of those things, of course, are possible. Last time we saw that the issue in chapter 5, also at the end of chapter 6, is immorality. Corinth was a very immoral place, but there were some things happening in the church that even the culture around them would have raised their eyebrows at. And and, and Paul says, you remember in in chapter 5, verse 8, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, so cleanse the sin from among you. In other words, Jesus has died for you in order that you might live a new life, a life free from immorality. And so he, what he does, he's, he's reminding them who they are and then calling them to live that out. He's really saying to them, no, you be who you are, not who you were. Chapter 6, there's a different issue on the table, but the same underlying principle is found right through the chapter. The church had adopted the practices of the culture. They'd forgotten who they were, forgotten what Christ had done for them, And Paul calls them back to live out what God had called them to. So so here's here's the summary of what we're saying today. The message is this. Don't live like the world because you've been changed. Don't live like the world because you've been changed. That's really what Paul was saying back in chapter 5. It's what he's saying now here in chapter 6 as well. Don't live like the world because you've been changed. So how were they living like the world? Well, they were living like the world because of their love of lawsuits. They took one another to court. Now, those of us who are old enough to see some of the changes in culture over the last decades undoubtedly would see that we've become a society that's much, much more legally minded. We, we sometimes use that word litigious, a litigious society. We're, we're, we're quick to make a claim. We trip over a paving stone and, and it's somebody's fault. We've got we've to get a claim, especially coming up to Christmas. And, and we, we hear that much more than, than we used to. 
But, but that was even more the case in ancient Greece. People were always taking people to court in that culture. And, and it got to the stage where the law courts were a sort of a form of entertainment, a bit like shopping is for us, sort of things that people did just to entertain themselves, as it were. And, and, and the law courts were like that for some parts of Greek culture. And, and some of the juries were absolutely massive. You could have had juries deciding on, on issues that numbered hundreds of people. How they ever got to decision, you'll never know. But, but that it meant that everybody was a bit of a legal expert, as it were. And the trouble is that the, the culture of the world around them carried over into the culture of the church. And Paul was really shocked. He says in verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Now, this is sort of linked to what's gone before. Remember in chapter 5, he called the church to, to judge, to, to make a decision about the ungodly man who was in their midst and to expel him for a time. And, and he's saying, now look, I'm calling you to, to, to judge this man. But do you know what? As far as judgment is concerned, you've got the wrong idea about this altogether. You're asking the world to judge in things that should be dealt with inside the church. You're washing your dirty laundry in public. We, we know that phrase. <clears throat> Maybe, by the way, we should say something about the way that Paul talks about people inside the church as saints and the people outside the church as ungodly or unrighteous. Now, many of us will know people who have no time for church, but they're very upright people. Maybe if we're honest, we'd say, do you know, do you know what, that neighbor of mine <clears throat> never goes near church, but he's a much, much better neighbor than I am. He's a more, more upright person than I am. In some ways, he's a better father than I am. He, and, and Paul, of course, knew that. And... and there were those inside the church that he refers to as saints, but he's certainly not blind to their troubles. We've seen that. We will see that again today. But what he's doing here, you see, is he's, he's seeing people in this world now from the perspective of eternity. And from the perspective of eternity, well, people are, have either been brought to God's side and they're, they're saints set apart for God himself, or they are distant from God and therefore lack the righteousness that only God can give. So Paul is, is viewing all people on earth through that sort of eternal perspective, that lens, and ultimately that's what, what matters, either saints or unrighteous. That's how he sees it. And what he's saying is, why are the saints getting the unrighteous to settle their disputes? He reminds them and us, if we're here today as believers, he reminds us of our future. One day, at the last judgment, the saints, Christians, will judge the world. We will take part in the judgment that Jesus brings. We've seen that in Revelation. We'll be with Christ, and we will participate in that with him, including judging the angels. So if we're going to be doing that, and judging even those who were in the Supreme Court of Corinth at the time. Can't we find some people within the church to sort out a few legal squabbles? 
He also says that the very fact that this happens is a really, really poor witness to the world. Remember, he implied that with their immorality. And now he says that in regard to their court cases. You can just imagine the chat amongst the the Corinthian people. Those Christians, they would have said. Talking about loving one another, but you know what? You want to see them in court, they don't hold back there. If that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, you can just imagine, can't you? Paul says, you'd be far better off to let yourself be defrauded than to allow the gospel to be dishonored in that regard. It actually looks like there were a few people within their congregations who were happy to engage in sharp practice with their brothers and sisters. And and, and even then, Paul says, look, it would be better to, to lose out, to lose a few pounds, so long as the reputation of the gospel wasn't sullied. Rather than do that, you see, they should sort those things out among themselves. Find someone to help you settle this inside the church, he says. Now, we probably need to put in a few caveats. It looks like the things that Paul is talking about here particularly relate to money and property. You see that reference to being defrauded in verse 7. So it's probably not every legal situation that is in mind. Elsewhere, it's clear that Paul uses the courts to establish, for example, freedom of worship for the church. He he also uh, makes reference to decisions of divorce courts and so on. So it's not as if he's separating himself entirely from the legal culture of the day. But in these particular matters, of fraud especially, Christians ought to be able to sort that stuff out themselves. I was hearing uh, just this week, actually, of, of how our conciliation service has, has done that within our church. Uh, we, we have one of the things that we're able to do together is, is we've, we've trained up a number of people who, when there's a dispute arises within a church, can be called in to help settle it. And someone had come in and had sat down with two parties who were at loggerheads who had a different understanding of an issue. They worked it through and they, they very successfully came to a common uh, outcome that, that both parties were happy with. That sort of thing's a, a, a direct outworking of what Paul says here. So, so that was the problem that the Corinthians were facing. This sort of, I'll see you in court attitude. And Paul says, do you know what? Whenever you do that, you're just living like the world. Sort it out yourselves. Don't live like the world, he says, for you've been changed. So what about the change? This is what he goes on to talk about. Look at verses 9 to 11. This is just great. Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So here's Paul again listing typical behaviors of those who do not know God. It's the same list that he gives back in chapter 5, verse 11, with a couple of exceptions. He adds in a couple of additional things to the list, mostly to do with morality questions. First word that is translated adulterer, and then actually two words that refer to homosexuality. Most of our translations just put in one word here. 
Now, just when we're talking about when homosexuality is mentioned here, you can understand that this little passage has become a very important text in some of the big moral discussions that are going on between the church and the world at this time. And I was thinking about this and thinking that we probably need to look at this a little bit more closely so that we're, we're up to speed with it again. It's a while since we've looked at that. And so perhaps some of these evening services will take a little bit of time and we'll look at this a little bit more closely. But, but today, let's be clear what Paul is saying here. This is not a list of everything that is contrary to God's intention for humanity. It's descriptive of some people, at least, who are in rebellion against God. And he's saying, look, here are behaviors that that indicate that people are are running away from God. They're going an entirely different direction, and therefore they're, they're not going to end up in heaven. But then Paul says something incredibly significant. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Now, that's marvelous. Paul writes to this church, he lists all the ways of of people rebelling against God, and he says, do you know what? Some of you used to be like that. These were the things that marked out some of you. Wouldn't it have been fantastic to have gone to that church and hung around at coffee afterwards and started to chat to people and say, look, you know, I'm only here for a while. Tell me about your story. How did you get to be here? How did you get to come to Christ? And you might have met a someone who'd come from a Jewish background, and they'd have said something like, well, you know, I was a good Jew, and I, I hoped that my religious observance would, would get me somewhere, but, but I was always really uncertain. And then I heard Paul come along, and I heard the news about Jesus. I didn't hear about Jesus until Paul told me about him. And, and I found out that he'd perfectly fulfilled the law for me and died for my sins. And, and, and so I'm so grateful now that I, I've got assurance. Hey, Somebody you might meet would, would say, well, I was actually quite an upright Gentile. I was trying to do the right thing, and I was, I was searching for truth amongst the idols of this city and the gods who brought me no hope. But then I heard about the God who'd made all things, who was God above everything else, who amazingly sent his world, son into this world to be my savior, and I trusted in him. I realized he was seeking me all along, and, and, and I'm so grateful that he, he loved me before I even thought of him. But then there would have been some people, according to Paul here, there would have been some people who would have said, hey, you know, my story, my story is really shocking. I I didn't see it at the time. I I didn't really think all that much about what I was doing, but, but my life was marked by all sorts of immorality. I was into all sorts of stuff. Or, or, or my life was marked by all sorts of uh, thieving and deceit. Or, or, or I, was, I was constantly unfaithful to my wife. Or, and then I heard about this God who is pure, and I began to see that I was so unlike him. And I knew that I was a sinner, and as I heard about this God, I heard about his giving of his son Jesus to die for my sin. And I'm so grateful. You see, there would have been people, Paul says, there were people from these backgrounds, and this is what they'd been saved out of. And such were some of you, he says. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this because this is what God does. He rescues people. And if God's at work, he's going to be rescuing people from all sorts of backgrounds, including those who look like they are a million miles away from Christ. Don't we say that sometime? You, you, we, we talk about someone and we say, well, you know, they're, they're nearly a Christian. Not take much to get them over the edge. Well, I'll tell you what it takes. It takes a miracle. 
And, and somebody who looks as if they're miles away, what does it take for them? It takes a miracle. And Paul says there were people who looked as if they were miles away from Christ, and God worked a miracle in their hearts. So you think of the society that we're in today, and you know that there are some people, and we think they'll never come to Christ. People that are maybe marked by some of the things that Paul describes here, and we've little hope for them. And look at what God does. And such were some of you. Now, maybe some of you are thinking about people in your workplace or people in your social circle or people in your family. Hold on to this word that speaks about the transforming power of the gospel. And such were some of you. See, there would have been all these stories of transformation, all these testimonies. Paul actually here sort of gives their testimony for them. He, he gives them a, from a different perspective, verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He describes three things that happened to them. They're all in the past tense, the aorist tense actually, to indicate something once for all that had happened to them. They were washed. We sometimes talk about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Some of you grew up singing an old hymn, which almost needs to have a health warning now. It's so sort of graphic. There, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? But it's a biblical picture. It's a, it's a picture full of biblical truth that, that, that as we have Christ's death applied to us, we are clean. He's washed us. You were sanctified, Paul says. Now, we're more used to talking about sanctification as a process, becoming more like Jesus from the time that we trust Christ to the time that we go to be with Christ. But sometimes, as here, sanctification is, is talked about, to being sanctified, is, is being talked about as, as setting us apart for God. There were elements of things in the, in the temple, for example, that were talked about as being sanctified. They were set apart for God. And that's what's happened to these people. God says, I'm going to take him or her and they're going to be mine forever. You were sanctified. You were justified as a legal term. It's, not a, it's a not guilty verdict. It's on the, on the basis of what God has done. He declares sinners like me and you to be accepted and to be in the right. We sometimes remember it by saying, just as if I'd never sinned. God treats us just as if I'd never sinned. That's helpful, but it's only half of it because also then Jesus' perfect record is transferred over to our account. So you think about that. Jesus, here we are, we're, 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 we're in God's debt. God wipes away our debt, and then he puts all of Jesus' resources into our account. How amazing. You were washed, 
You were sanctified, you were justified. That's not the order we usually think of those things in. But you see what Paul is saying. He's saying, remember what God has done for you. There you were, living lives far away from God. God just stepped in. He declared you right, he forgave your sin, he made you his own. Look at what he has done. Now, brothers and sisters, he says, live in the light of what has happened to you. Don't live like the world because you've been changed. Don't live like the people of Corinth. Don't turn a a blind eye to immorality and engage in endless court appearances over a few pounds. Remember who you are. Remember the people that God has made you. Remember what's ahead for you. Remember what you've been saved from and you've left behind. Don't live like the world because God has changed you. That's what the passage is saying. A couple of questions just as we finish. First question is this. Has God changed you? Has God changed you? John texted me last night speaking at uh, Portadown College's SU weekend. Young person gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ last night. Fantastic. And there he was, that, that young person, don't know anything about him, don't know his name or anything, but, but there he was, away at an SU weekend, in the midst of a crowd of Christians. But until last night, God hadn't changed him. He hadn't come to faith. Maybe you're here today. You're in the midst of a crowd of Christians. And until today, you've not been changed. Has God changed you? If not, then ask him, call on him. It is critical. Do you see the change that's described here? If he has, then here's another question. Have we realized what God has done for us? Is this where our thoughts go? I'm forgiven. I'm right in God's eyes. I'm his forever. Have you realized what God has done for you? And then I guess the third question is, Are you living in the light of that? Are there areas in your life where you're just going to the flow because that's what everybody else does? Things that, that come to your mind now as you begin to think about that, reactions and attitudes and practices. Remember who you are. You've been brought to Christ's side. Now, Live out what he has worked in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we see the draw in every one of us just to live like we We're still in the world. 
And yet, Lord, by your grace, for so many of us here, you've brought us to your side. You've made us yours forever. And we pray that that now that you've given us this new identity, you'll help us to live as the people that you've made us. Wholehearted in our following of you. Not compromising in our thinking or our speaking or our doing. Being like Jesus. And Lord, if, if today some of us are not yet Christians, by your grace, Lord, come to us and bring us into that position where the word would say to us, and such were some of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.